Today's text is found in the book of Matthew 6, verse 5 to 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received what their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Irvi. Lord Jesus, we just sang about your love. You came because God loved this world. You laid down your life because God the Father sent you. And Lord, here you are giving us instructions on how to pray. And Lord, I ask that we would be moved by your love for us so that we would love you even more. And God, I ask that as we think about the topic of prayer, would you move our hearts to delight more in prayer and to recommit our own spiritual devotion to you in a new way through expression of prayer. And so, Lord, we, we ask you by your spirit, would you work in our hearts? Would you change us in the ways that we need to be changed? And Lord, I ask that your spirit would help us all to hear what you would want to say. And I pray by your spirit that you would help me to say what you would want me to say. And so, Lord, we, our eyes are on you. We're looking to you. Our faith is in you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So these three words, when you pray, we see in Matthew 6, 5, uh, sort of capture my attention this morning. And uh, it seems that there are a couple of events that happened this past week, which sort of uh, forces us to consider the, the idea, the notion of prayer. And a couple of those things, uh, those two events, uh, first of all, was the beginning of a new year. Uh, which we all celebrated last Sunday, but then secondly was the injury of DeMar Hamlin during the first quarter of the Bills-Bengals game last Monday night. I don't know if many of you were watching that, but Hamlin's injury catapulted prayer before the eyes of our country in a way that I haven't seen in a long time. It was astonishing to me, and uh, we saw the tackle, and Hamlin, 24-year-old, went down. Uh, suddenly he was injured. He stood up and, and collapsed because he backed into a music stand and fell over uh, and didn't know why, what was happening, but it was obvious that something serious was happening because almost instantly players from both teams were kneeling and taking off their helmets. And it was incredible because suddenly we see prayer happening and people, people were calling for prayer. We, we, as we watch the screen, we see players are beginning to pray and, and kneel and take off their hats and, and turn attention to the Lord. And then suddenly, as we keep watching, coaches are, are suddenly kneeling and praying. And 
Uh, even more astonishing, uh, before you know it, the entire Bills team suddenly were huddled beside the sideline, kneeling down. Everyone, including staff and support staff, uh, sideline hosts, everybody on the whole team were kneeling together and praying on the field. This was amazing. And nobody was complaining about this. Announcers were not complaining. No one was complaining. And before we even knew it, we, were, we had calls to pray, invitations to pray, as well as uh, uh, people asking for prayer and, and praying themselves. And so sportscasters suddenly were praying, and, and then all of Twitterverse erupts in pleas for prayer. It was absolutely amazing to me. And e Emmett Smith tweets a prayer uh, it was quite uh, amazing. He's asking for prayer. He actually tweets his own prayer. Josh Allen, the quarterback for the Bills, suddenly is requesting prayer for DeMar Hamlin. Uh, Tom Brady responded that he was praying, um, which is quite astonishing in and of itself. And yet it, the astonishment for me continued to grow as the week progressed. And suddenly I see a headline that Bill Belichick has asked um, the special teams captain, Matthew Slater, who is a, a known Christian, not shy about his faith, Belichick asked Slater to lead the entire team in prayer, which Matthew Slater was happy to do. And can you imagine that? Bill Belichick asking for prayer and Matthew Slater happy to pray. So prayer is coming from every direction. And then the social media team uh, of the Bills pulled together an image that contained tweets uh, from multiple people, sportscasters, stars, official team feeds, tweets coming from everywhere. I counted 41 different uh, images in, in that one image, 34 explicitly either mentioning prayer or calling for prayer. Both former players, sportscasters, and others, even Wolf Blitzer is on there saying that he is praying. I didn't know Wolf Britzer was a, was a praying man, but he joined the DeMar Hamlin prayer team, at least for this moment. And so it was amazing to me, and, and it, it got me to thinking, what does this tell us? When we see suddenly prayer before us like this, now it's another question, to whom or what are being prayed? That's another question. Come back for a different sermon on that. And yet, what I gather from all of this is that crisis somehow reveals our need for prayer. When we are forced with circumstances that are beyond our control, suddenly we're, we're ready and willing to pray. When we find ourselves in, in situations that we can't handle and that we, we don't know how to get out of, suddenly we are more than willing to talk to God. So I think Prayer is a reflexive response of the human heart to the fact that we need our creator. And we can't escape this, right? All of this was praise. Nobody was criticizing anybody for talking about prayer. And yet, if you follow the news, Joe Kennedy, an assistant coach, assistant football coach from Washington, lost his job for praying on the field and had to take his case all the way to the Supreme Court just to get permission to pray. Not in crisis, prayer is not recommended. But in crisis, prayer is okay. It's quite amazing to me. And what is prayer? Prayer is simply communicating with our creator. Prayer is the intentional directing of our souls to the God who created us and us sharing what is on our hearts. That's what prayer is. What's interesting is if God already knows everything about which we're going to pray. 
Prayer is us talking to God. That's what we see in Scripture. It's not God talking to us. So prayer everywhere in Scripture. I've looked in Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture when God is speaking from, from heaven to us, to any human being, is that called prayer. But everywhere when we are talking to God, when we are communicating with God, that's what's called prayer. And that's not just limited to words alone or spoken words because Paul tells us in, in Romans chapter 8 that sometimes we can't find the words for prayer. We're too emotionally uh, disturbed or traumatized that we don't have the words for prayer and the Holy Spirit helps us in those moments with Paul uses the phrase with groanings too deep for words you ever been in a place of prayer like that when you can't even vocalize words but yet Lord help me the Spirit of God helps us. What this tells me is we are hardwired for communion with our Creator. And prayer is one of the primary means by which we both express that communion and also experience that communion. We both express our desires to God in prayer and yet we also experience communion with Him in prayer. And crisis simply reveals our need for connection to our creator. And thank God, DeMar Hamlin is doing much, 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 much better. So we praise the Lord. He's answered prayers. But so he forced us to think about prayers, at least for me. And then also we stand at the beginning of a new year. And the new year is a wonderful time to pause and reflect back over the past year. Uh, we, we can't help but do it. Every, goodness, Spotify sent me a list of every song I played last year. Uh, they're reflecting over what, I, what we're listening to, right? We all stand and look back over the past year. And it is helpful to say for us, I believe, this morning, as you look back, you just pause for a moment, think back over the past year, what has been my prayer life? What, what is, what's my prayer life look like? Is there any room for improvement? I, I don't know anyone who... Whether you have been walking with the Lord a short period of time or all your life, I don't know anyone who would say, there's no room for growth in my prayer life. Absolutely, there is room for us to grow. And that's, that's the point of the sermon today. So what I think the message is, is for us to consider, what is your prayer life like? And are you content with your level of communion with your Creator? Are, are you content is God content with your level of your communion with your creator? Would he look at your prayer life and say, all is well? Or would he say, I'd love to spend a little bit more time with you this coming year? That's what we are called to consider. And if you have been with us um, as we've been journeying through scripture, we've been making our way through Matthew, been spending time in the Sermon on the Mount and contained within the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offers us some teaching on prayer. And so we've, we've been in chapter 5, working our way through the Beatitudes. Some of you would say exceedingly too slowly. Um, and yet, uh, if we fast forward just a little bit into chapter 6, we get some teaching of, of Jesus on prayer. And so that's the focus this morning. Jesus gives us how not to pray, two examples of how not to pray, and then he gives us two examples of how to pray. And so that's what we're going to look at 
Let me just read that passage of scripture that Hervey read just a few minutes ago. Just one more time to get it before us. It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. Just a couple of verses. Here's Jesus speaking. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Interesting, there's a reward for prayer. And when you pray... Verse 7, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you pray. So just a couple of observations. First observation is, Jesus three times says, when you pray. Verse 5, 6, and 7. When you pray, it's first three words. When you pray. He doesn't say if you pray. If you find time to pray. He says when. Jesus clearly expects his disciples. And remember, this is those to whom this sermon is being preached. The Sermon on the Mount is spoken to disciples. Jesus gathered his disciples. They all sat down. The crowds were around them, but disciples came near. And Jesus spoke these words to them. So he's saying to his disciples, when you pray. So he assumes his people will be a praying people. Are we? If you're a disciple of Jesus, to what degree does prayer a part of your normal rhythm of life? What what place does it have in your life? So he he said, when you pray. So that's my my first observation is Jesus assumes if you're his follower, you're going to be praying. Why? Because Jesus prayed. Jesus modeled prayer Again and again and again throughout the course of his life, from the beginning of his ministry till his very last breath, we see Jesus praying. Now, I went through this week, I read all the Gospels, and I looked for every instance where Jesus is publicly praying, or we are told that he's praying. I I came up with more than a dozen instances, and several of them point to the fact that not a single prayer, but Jesus had a habit of praying. It was his custom is the, is the terminology just used. So I just want to give you a couple of verses from the beginning to in the middle of his ministry uh, and then one at the end of his ministry of Jesus praying. Because if he calls us to pray, we need to see, right, we're his followers. If Jesus is our leader, then we need to do what he does, right? So let's see it. Does he pray? Mark chapter 1, the very beginning of his ministry, what we find is Jesus has begun preaching in, in the early stages of Mark, his preaching, his public ministry has begun. He's been preaching and teaching. He has healed people. He, he spoke in the local synagogue and then he went home and everybody came to him and he spent the entire evening healing sick people. All evening, it says late into the night. And then we find this, Mark 1.35, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place And there he prayed. Here's Jesus working all day, all night, and then going up early in the morning, going out to pray. So he he does this. He goes to a desolate place, a a place away from distractions. Again and again, you'll see that. And then also, when Jesus' popularity as a minister began to grow, when the demands of ministry life began to, to increase, when life got busy, and I know some of you think, I don't have time to pray. 
I'm, t- I'm too busy to pray. Here's a verse for you. Luke 5. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to motivate you. Because everybody's busy. We're all busy. Every one of us. And yet we find time for, to do the things that are important to us, don't we? Luke 5.15. Now, even more the, the report about him went abroad. Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Look at verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. It's incredible to me. Jesus, there are people who want healing. Why are you going off to pray? There's work to be done. Why are you hiding in desolate places to pray? Jesus needs that communion with his father. That's what prayer is. So no matter what the demands of ministry or life are, when their people are needing us, we need to get grounded in God the Father. That's what Jesus is doing. And Jesus prayed all the time, right? He prayed all night before he selected the 12 disciples. He went out on a mountain to pray, to be alone when he heard of the death of John the Baptist. Matthew 14, 13, and 23. When Jesus heard this about the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. In verse 23, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. That instance, Jesus' desire to be alone in prayer got interrupted by a whole crowd of people who he ministered to and fed them. He fed, that's when he fed the 5,000. And then at the very end, he still had to get away and go and pray and be alone with his heavenly father. It was when he was praying on the mount that we call transfiguration that Moses and Elijah appeared to him and, and glorified him. It was in the middle of, 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 of secret prayer. And, and then we see Luke telling us in Luke 22, this was his custom. He would often go out into the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives to be alone and pray. Luke 22, 39, he came out and he went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. And again and again, we see this happening over and over. Jesus prayed in public and in private at uh, Lazarus's tomb. Jesus prayed in front of a whole crowd of mourners. He prayed that God would raise Lazarus from the dead, and and he answered. And Jesus, on the day of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, in front of a crowd, prayed, and God the Father responded audibly from heaven, and it confused everybody. And some people were like, maybe that was thunder? Not quite sure what that was. Some thought it was an angel who spoke to him, and yet Jesus prayed publicly. He also, we know, the entire chapter, John 17, prayed. All of that is a long prayer, the longest, one of the longest prayers recorded in Scripture. Most of Jesus' prayers are very short, like, Father, hear my prayer. Lazarus, come out. God responds. We're going we're gonna to talk about that in a few minutes. And so we see Jesus continually praying. So there's the, minute, the middle of his ministry, but even at the very end, some of his last recorded words are prayers from the cross. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing as he's being crucified. And then Luke 23, 46, Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's what prayer is. Prayer is talking to God. It is intentional communication to God the Father. And here Jesus is praying. So if he is our leader, then we as followers need to pray. If if God, the Holy Son, our Savior, needed prayer How much more do we weak and wobbly people need prayer? 
If Jesus spent dedicated time in prayer, let us also follow his example. And so, Jesus gives us some advice. Do you want to know some advice? How should we pray? Jesus tells us how we shouldn't pray, and he tells us how we should. Look at verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in synagogues and at street corners so that they can be seen by others. Truly, I say, they have received their reward. Don't pray like hypocrites. That's what Jesus says. I'm going to start with a negative example. He says, I'm going to give you some advice about praying. Don't pray like the hypocrites. How do hypocrites pray? They love to be seen by other people. So they choose places where they'll be noticed. They're praying to impress the people around them. And Jesus is saying, don't pray like that. Don't pray to impress the people you're with. Don't pray to be noticed by your neighbors. Some of you do that. You get your coffee and you go out on the back porch. Oh, God, the Father, so your neighbor will hear you. We, we sometimes do, right? And I think... Um, a good test, how to know when you're praying to impress your neighbor. I think it depends upon how much explanation you give. Because you know, God knows everything. Prayer is not an educational experience with God the Father. And yet sometimes when we pray, don't you hear strange things like this, right? Dear God, you know, I was reading my Bible this morning in the 73rd Psalm and the third verse, and I read in that book of Psalms how foolish the wicked are. And I immediately thought of my coworker, Chuck, the guy in receiving. He is so arrogant, and Lord, he needs to be humbled and brought to your wisdom and salvation. As if God needed to be reminded where you were, what you were reading this morning. Oh, thank you for telling me you were in Psalm 73. I thought you were in 93, verse 5. <sighs> Thanks for the, oh, Chuck in receiving. I thought you were about, Chuck in accounting. Thanks for clarifying that. Right, that's not the purpose of prayer. And yet sometimes when we pray, if the explanations are too lengthy, who are you really talking to? What about this? Father, Chuck needs you. Will you humble him and give him wisdom and lead him to salvation. Jesus is telling us, don't pray to impress the people around you. If you're praying to man, well, you're going to get a manly answer. There is a reward that comes with that. You, you saw that, right? They have their reward, Jesus says. What's the reward? We little nobodies think, ah, that might cost a, wow, what a prayer. That guy's amazing. Right? Don't pray to the people around you is what Jesus is saying. Don't pray to impress your neighbors. So how should you pray? Verse 6. When you pray, go into your room and shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you if, if the temptation to give flowery, impressive prayers comes upon you when you're praying in a group, Jesus' answer is, just go pray by yourself. And the room, the word room here, can be an inner room or a storeroom. It refers to a room without windows. It's typically what that means. So Jesus is saying, just pray where nobody can see you. You don't have to worry about impressing Mike Costa if you just get alone by yourself and pray to God the Father. So pray him. And he's not prohibiting public prayer. Right? That's not the problem. 
Jesus prayed in public, I, I told you a few minutes ago, at Lazarus's tomb on the day of the triumphal entry. Jesus prayed in public. He's not prohibiting public prayer. It's not the location that is important. It's the motivation that Jesus always goes to the heart. What is in your heart when you're praying? That's what he's saying. Stop praying to impress people. Pray, you and God the Father. That's sometimes why we close our eyes. To eliminate distractions. To help us remember, I'm not praying to the guy next to me. I'm, I'm praying to God the Father. So if I just focus on him. Right, when Jesus prayed, he often opened his eyes. He lifted up his eyes, we're told many times in scripture, and prayed to his Father in heaven. Right, you don't have to close your eyes every time you pray. It's helpful though, I find, to just stop being distracted by all the stuff around you. So the solution is, if, if you're tending towards praying to impress the people around you, just get alone. Have a secret place to pray, to be alone, so that you can just spend time with you and your heavenly father and you can commune with him. Don't seek to please men, people around you. Seek to please God the father. And then the, the negative, how, okay, let, let's, let's go there. Uh, Matthew 7 Again, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Okay, again, how not to pray. How to pray, pray alone, pray, pray in private, don't pray thinking of focusing on other people. But now, uh, don't pray like the Gentiles. First, don't pray like the hypocrites. Now, don't pray like the Gentiles. How do the Gentiles pray? They talk forever. And, and they think that these words are going to somehow convince God to give them an answer. They multiply meaningless words in order to make their prayers feel weighty. And so the caution here is don't multiply meaningless words in your prayer, which really calls us to think about the things that we pray for, right? This, this, this is today. This is, this is the Lord saying to you, I want you to think about what you say when you pray. Because we often use meaningless phrases to, to fortify our prayers. For example, how many of us, I do this, I do this too. I'm not, how many of, first words out of your mouth when you're praying with someone, Lord, thank you for this day. And, and thank you for the beautiful clouds and the sunshine. Thank you for this day, I think has to be the universal first phrase I've ever heard in anybody's prayer. It might be true that you are thankful for the day. If, if that's true, then pray it. But if you're using it as a meaningless phrase, what Jesus is saying is don't use it. Stop that. Don't use meaningless phrases in your prayers. And as I was, was thinking about this, I was reminded of a time when I was about 15 or 16. I was praying with a friend of mine called Keith, Keith Hornbeck, my closest buddies growing up. And we were kneeling, praying, and Keith started and, you know, when you're praying with someone, you go back and forth. So Keith prays, and then the, the implication is Todd prays next. And so Keith was praying. Well, Todd got a little diverted. Um, mine got a little distracted. Uh, I felt a little sleepy, and, and I wasn't really tracking with Keith while he was praying. And then suddenly Keith stops praying, which is a significant clue that Todd is to start praying. And I, my go-to phrase, oh, Lord, please be with us. And, and then I stopped for just a second to think about what I'm going to say next because the Lord, please be with us, was afraid. That was, that's just what I 
That was my go-to phrase. And it was in that moment as if the Lord Jesus said to me, I'll never forget this. He, it was as if he said, my little child, I am always with you. It stopped me dead in my tracks because Matthew 28, 20 came instantly to mind. And if you know your Bible, you know what that says. The, the words of Jesus that says, go and make disciples of all nations, right? To the ends of, baptize them, teach them. And he says, and I'm with you to the end of the age. I'm with you until the end of the age. And it, as I was processing in that moment what the Lord was saying to me, it was like he was saying, Todd, I've already told you that I'm with you. You don't have to tell me to do it again. I stopped praying that at that moment, using it as a mindless filler. Sometimes I do, I do pray, be with us, Lord. Every Sunday morning I cry out, be with us. We want to be in your presence. But the caution is mindless phrases, little words we use to give us filler space so we can think about the next cool thing we want to say to impress our neighbor. And so think about the words that we use because sometimes we use God's name or his office or his character qualities as filler phrases just to give meat or girth to our prayers, right? We use weird language sometimes we talk to God. For example, I thought about this. This is sometimes how we pray. Ah, oh, Lord God, we come into your presence, O sovereign of the universe. Father, we need your help, O mightiest of gods. All of those things are true, right? He is Lord. He is God. We do come into his presence, he is the sovereign of the universe. He is father. He is the mightiest of all gods. But let's just put that into context. What if my son came in with a similar language structure to me and said, ah, oh, dad, Todd, I come into your office. Oh, pastor of the church. Father, I need your help. Oh, mightiest of all dads. I'd be saying, what is going on here? I... If, if, you, if saying, oh, mightiest of all gods, reminds you that it's true and that your problem can easily be solved by him, then use it. If saying, oh, sovereign of the universe, reminds you, my marriage is failing, help me, then use it. But don't use his name or his titles meaninglessly or without purpose. Use it with reverence, knowing who he is. And if using those phrases reminds you of his glory and his goodness, use them. But don't just say it to be saying it. That's what Jesus is calling us here too. And so we have to think about how to pray. And so again, in verse eight, we see again Jesus offering a little positive invitation on how to pray. He says, don't be like them, meaning the godless Gentiles. Verse eight, this is really important. For, so don't pray like the godless Gentiles, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. That's stunning to me. Your prayers is not a means of discovery for the God of this universe. It, it is not you saying, Lord, could, I, I, my job is it, I, terrible. I, I need your help. And then you explain the situation as if God goes, ha, 
I had no idea you were struggling at work. That doesn't happen. And prayer is not a moral improvement mechanism for the character of God trying to cudgel him into doing what he otherwise wouldn't do. It's not as though if, if you're having a, a situation, say your marriage, and you're saying, God, I, I need help. Would you, just, would you just change my wife and fix her problems? And it, It's not as though God was like, oh, yeah, I, I, you know, I wish I could help, but okay, since you're, since you're telling me, sure. It, it's not as though we need to prod God to do good. That's not what prayer is. And so when he says here, your father knows what you have need. Obviously, prayer is not for God's benefit. So who benefits? Us. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Oh, how many needless burdens we bear? Take it to the Lord in prayer. What we're discovering is God enjoys the company of his children. He loves it when we come needy to him in prayer, expressing our desires. And a footnote, sometimes prayer in us expressing our desires is a means by which God reveals to us our desires need to be changed and shifted. Right, when you're, when you're praying for something completely unnecessary, like James says, when you wanna spend it on your own desires and lusts, when you're praying about needless things or wrong things, in the prayer, God will reveal to your heart, is that really what you need to pray for? Do you really need to pray that I would change your wife's problems? Don't you have a couple of your own? Right? Prayer is a means by which we are conformed into the will of God so that we can then pray according to the will of God. And so he sometimes changes us. But what's astonishing here is, and this is the point I want you to go home with, God enjoys your prayer. He blesses. There's a reward here. Do you see it? Jesus said, don't pray like a hypocrite. Don't pray like the Gentiles because those who pray merely to be seen by others already have their reward. Pray in secret to your father and he will reward you. There is a reward for prayer. God blesses his, his children who come to him in prayer. He enjoys the company of his children. Is part of the point. That communion that we were created for is experienced and expressed in prayer. And so prayer is a blessing. Do you see it as a blessing? I want to give you an example. So this week, my son sent me a little video he had no idea I was preaching on prayer. And he said, Dad, you gotta, you gotta watch this video. So I wanna share it with you. I love that. Sweet, 
short. He didn't heap up mindless phrases. There's no vain repetitions in there. It wasn't a mile long. It was 40 seconds. And don't you, who wouldn't want to bless that little boy for praying like that? And what do you think your heavenly father thinks when you come to him? Oh, Lord, teach us how to pray. Right, it doesn't have to be miles long. Just a simple expression of your heart. And so I want to leave you with a couple of suggestions for a new year. First, plan to pray. Plan it. You won't spend time in prayer if you don't plan it. Redeem the time. On the train, going to work, pray. Wherever you are, pray. You don't have to ignore everybody around you, right? There's times when we need to talk to the people on our way to the work, but plan to pray. Set apart some time in order to talk to your creator. Commune with him, right? Pray briefly and pray often. Pray briefly and pray often. Just short prayers. When you come into a place of need, Father, give me wisdom here, right? Give, give me the words to say that I can be a blessing to this person. That's all it has to be. Short, simple. Third, pray conversationally. Sometimes people don't pray because they think, I don't know how to pray because there's some formula that we perceive that we need to embrace in praying. Just have a conversation with your father. So pray conversation. Just talk to him directly. And thank God we don't have to travel to high mountains or large temples in order to do so. We can pray to him anywhere. So pray conversationally third. Fourth, pray faithfully. Meaning, believe that your prayer makes a difference. Right? If, if we who don't even know that little boy would love with everything within us to answer that little sweet prayer and we don't even know him, how much more does our God who created us and who loves us not want to give us the answers that, that we want and that what's good for us? Right? He, so pray faithfully. Believe that prayer makes a difference. And then lastly, make up your mind at the beginning of this new year to intentionally move your prayer life into a deeper place of intimacy with your Father. Make up your mind to do things a little differently. However that might look in your situation, make a commitment today to say, okay, if, if my Lord Jesus said there's a reward for right praying and it is sweet communion with the creator of my soul, then what can I do to, to, to give a larger space and room in my life to prayer? Figure that out. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we together as a family of believers come before you right now and we thank you that in your name, no matter where we are or no matter what's happening, we can cry out to you and by your spirit, we can commune with you and you hear our prayers. And Lord, I know that you created every person hearing my voice you formed us while we were in our mother's wombs. You know our personality. You know our weaknesses. You know our worries. You know everything. So when we pray, we're not telling you anything we don't know, that you don't know. And yet, we want to commune with you. 
And prayer is that means by which we can lift off the burdens of our, of our souls and of our lives and give them to you. It's a, a way for us to sit with the things in our own life that needs to be corrected and changed when we're in your presence. And Lord, I ask, would you do that in the hearts of your people? Those this morning who yearn to know you more intimately and sweetly. I teach us, Lord, how to live how to make room, things that we can change, reveal to us even right now, space that we can plan into our lives to dedicate to you. Give us hearts that will make up our minds to focus on you first. Before we listen to sports radio or pick up the paper or read the news, God, let us focus our hearts on you. Let us make a determination to spend time with you and to talk to you, to share what's on our minds. So Lord Jesus, I ask you, would you bless your people? Would you pour out goodness on your people who, who commit to meeting you in prayer and to, to lifting up desires of hearts before your presence? Bless your children, Lord Jesus. Let us sense that goodness and favor that you intend to come to your people who pray to you and to you alone. And Lord, that little boy's right. In Jesus' name we pray. There is no other name under heaven whereby we have any right to enter the throne room of the Creator except by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Lord, it is in your wonderful name we pray. Amen.